Hey everybody, welcome to Valley Church. So glad that you're watching wherever you're watching. If you're clicking in, if you're on YouTube, Facebook, wherever you are, thanks for clicking in. We are just a week away from the Super Bowl. And for Valley Church, if you're gonna make it here next week, it's Jersey Sunday. We wear jerseys. We want to wear uh, and support some of our favorite teams. It's kind of fun, um, you know, wearing the hoodies or even sweater vests with our teams on. Some of our favorite teams we're supporting while we're hanging out with some of our favorite people. So don't forget that next week. And if you are like in the loop at all when it comes to the Super Bowl, you know who's going to the Super Bowl. Let's shout it out on the count of three. One, two, three. Taylor Swift, right? Is that what you were saying? The world's talking about it. She gets to go to the Super Bowl. Not many of us really care. Actually, these are the two guys who are going to the Super Bowl. Brock Purdy and uh, Kansas City Chiefs, right? Patrick Mahomes. Uh, if there's ever been a Super Bowl for Iowa, I feel like this is our Super Bowl, right? Because the, the Kansas City Chiefs, there's not an NFL team closer to Des Moines. And Brock Purdy, Iowa loves Brock Purdy. It's going to be a great game. Uh, and I imagine like these two guys, I mean, they really do have like one of the best jobs in the NFL, right? Like the, to be a quarterback and uh, uh, I mean, they're both fit. They're both handsome. Like what, how about this? What if I could promise you that I could help you be just like an NFL quarterback? Would you, would you take me up on that? Would you be interested? Uh, just say I'm in if you would be interested, right? I can't hear you, but I hope, I hope you said I'm in. Let me show you this. Here's Brock Purdy. Look at this guy. I mean, he is just on the field. He's crushing it. He's making things happen. But this is also Brock Purdy. Check this out. Look at this guy. This is a 2019. What is that? Oh, Valley Church, Night to Shine. It's coming up. Brock was uh, just such a, a, a great like encourager and leader here for that. He brought uh, so many from his team. Maybe he didn't bring them all, but he came with a team. Uh, and it was it was so good. It was encouraging to see him serving and leading and being uh, just a, a a good friend to so many kings and queens who are going to be here. And uh, if you said that you're in, if I can help you be just like an NFL quarterback, this is the way. Uh, and you already said I'm in, so you know you gotta you gotta do it now, right? Uh, we we uh, here at Valley Church are hosting Night to Shine. We're going to have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of kings and queens for our special needs prom, and we need a few more helping hands. So if you're available, if you can make it, it would be great if you would make room in your time, your schedule, your day to come and be a part of this. We need 200 more buddies. We have hundreds and hundreds of volunteers. We still need 200 more buddies. Uh, we're going to have hundreds of guests here. We're going to have so many guests. It's going to be the night of their life. I mean, like <laughs> every year that I serve and I get a shout and cheer on all of these kings and queens, they're so incredibly thankful and excited and and we get to do that and and you can be part of that you could be the best part of that by being a buddy with some of these guests we're having for night to shine so my my request to you would be to make your way to valley church's website if you have uh, a worship folder hit that qr code um, get out here and sign up night to shine is going to be a great opportunity to serve i remember when when we launched night to shine a few years ago we were talking about it we were wondering if we would do it and it didn't take long for us to just find room we we like decided to get the room that we needed we made room for this event because that's what we do 
That's what we do as people who follow Jesus, but that's what we have been doing for years as a church. Valley Church embraces making room for opportunities like this. And as followers of Jesus, I know a lot of us, we spend so much of our focus and our time like acknowledging that we are spiritual beings looking toward eternity, but we need to remember that we're spiritual and physical beings. You know, as, as we make room in our rooms and our spaces, and as we host and meet in locations, these physical places uh, can, can actually take on great spiritual significance. This is an opportunity to create a significant moment for families. It's a, it's a, a great opportunity to create a significant moment for a person, for people. And also, we're making room for God to move. Rooms and spaces all over our church building, all over you know, the world, they, they hold a vital importance for, for spiritual things to happen. God still meets with people in spaces and places. And Night to Shine is just one of those examples of how we have prepared a space and we've prepared a moment for others to be served and for God to start a new thing, to, to just move and to work. You know, preparing space for ministry and, and making room for God to move is something the church has been doing for thousands and thousands of years. I think in, in Luke chapter two, I love this. I love the, the way Jesus presents this and that he sends his disciples. You know, this was in Luke 22, starting in verse seven, it was the day of unleavened bread and, and a, a Passover lamb was going to be sacrificed very soon. And Jesus, what he did was he sent Peter and he sent John and he said to them, go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. And Peter and John, they probably looked at each other. Then they looked back at Jesus and they were like, uh, where, where do you want us to make these preparations? Because we kind of don't have a home. And Jesus said, I want you to go into the city. Uh, I want you to find a man carrying water. I want you to follow him to his house. And I want you to ask him if we can use his guest room. And then in uh, Luke twenty-two twelve, we read this. Then this guy... He's going to show you a large furnished room upstairs and make the preparations there. Find this space and make preparations there. Now, if Jesus asked any of us to do this, we'd probably freak out, right? I mean, he, he gave his disciples some very specific details, but he didn't give them all the details. He didn't give them any assurances. He just, he just pointed them in a direction. He said, this is what you need to do. Now go. I can't imagine what... Peter and John were thinking like, uh, we're going to go into town. There's so many people there. The festival's coming. Is there really only going to be one guy carrying water? Uh, you know, they, they're, they're, when we find this guy, we're just supposed to follow him to his house. It's not weird at all. And we're going to ask him to use his guest room. Do we just ask him for his fully furnished room that we can just use it and take it? Jesus, do you know this guy? And Jesus, he just says this, listen. That's how he started off. He said, listen, go do this. Have you ever noticed how often in scripture Jesus gives direction to people, but he doesn't give them all the details? Jesus, you might want to write that down because this is maybe an aha for you. Jesus is 
often just giving direction without giving all the details. I think about Luke 9. Jesus sends out 12 of his disciples with the power and the authority that he had to cast out demons and to heal sick people and to to share the good news of Jesus. And, And he says this, he says, take nothing for your road trip. Take no staff, take no bag, take no bread, take no money, not even an extra shirt. Jesus doesn't give him the details. He just gives these 12 guys a little bit of direction and then he expects them to run with it. A chapter later, Luke 10, uh, he does the same thing, but this time instead of with 12, he does it with 72. He sends out the 72 in pairs and he sends them ahead of him to towns and villages to share the gospel and and to uh, take nothing with them, to take nothing. Just to us, we'd be like, do you not want us to be prepared? And he's like, you are prepared. Here's the direction. Not all the details, just direction. And if we're honest, we want details, right? We want the details. I need the details. And and honestly, when I ask for the details, what I'm really doing is I'm trying to decide whether or not I want to do it. You know, if, if I were listening to a pastor say this for the first time, I'd be thinking, so am I just supposed to do and move in whatever direction I think God is calling me to? And as a pastor, I would respond and say, kinda. I mean, I mean, yeah, that's kinda how it works. If you feel God is moving you in a direction, if you feel God is giving you direction, do it. But Brandon, I know what you're thinking. Brandon, how, how do I know if this thing that I think God is calling me to is really from God? That's a great question. That is a very important question. And it's actually pretty simple. If you're taking notes, I'd love it if you'd write this down because we don't just do what we feel is right. We don't do what we feel God is calling us to. We kind of bring it through a, a few filters to make sure that it really aligns with who God is and what he wants for us. Uh, here, here's, here it is. Is this from God? Number one, have you prayed about it? Like we really want to pray about it. Uh, and I, I don't mean that in a sp- that over-spiritualize anything, but have you talked to the Lord about it? Did you, did you take it to him uh, to ask him for clarity? Have you asked him for a peace about it? Whichever direction you're moving in, pray about it. The second thing, we've got to filter whatever we think God is calling us to through his word. I promise you this, God will never, ever contradict himself. If it is not in his word or it's against his word, flags. Like this doesn't sound like it's from God. If it's asking me, if I feel like I'm being asked to move into a direction that disagrees with scripture, God never disagrees with himself. He will never ask you to do something that the Bible says not to do. And some of us are like, well, I prayed about it, but I, I didn't hear God say no. Sometimes it's really obvious because he already said no. That's why we take it to the word. And the, the third thing we got to do, we got to take it and talk to somebody about it. And not just anybody. We're looking for wise counsel. We're looking for men and women who have gone before us, who are maybe even significantly spiritually more mature than us. Not somebody who's just going to say yes to whatever crazy thought we bring to them, but somebody who's going to bring discernment to the conversation. Somebody who's going to help us know, is this wise or unwise? And when you're headed into whatever direction God is sending you, even though he hasn't given you all the details, when you don't have all the details, that could seem scary. And I know it's going to require some level of sacrifice, but you, you already know this, but you might want to write this down. Things that come easily 
and without sacrifice are rarely worth anything. We value things that come at a cost, at a price. Life's not easy, you know, and if you're taking God's direction and you're following his will, you're right where you need to be, even if it's hard. Uh, remember when the disciples were in a boat and, and Jesus, he, he sends them into the storm and then he goes off to pray. Actually, he just sends them into water. And while he's praying, a storm comes in. Do you know what we learn there? The disciples show us that we can be in the middle of a storm and still remain in God's will. You know, the apostle Paul, he was arrested multiple times. This guy was uh, in jail so many times. He spent more than five years in prisons for sharing the gospel. What Paul teaches us is that we can go through hard things and still be in the center of God's will. Jesus shows us that he can be crucified and still be in God's will. Just because something is hard or difficult or requires sacrifice, it doesn't mean you're outside of God's will. We like the details so that we can decide if we want to do it. But it isn't a decision that we make based on safety, based on convenience, based on the benefit or comfort. We decide to do it if God directed it. You know, things that come easily and without sacrifice are rarely worth anything. So what do we do? We filter it through our three filters. And, and if God is giving us direction, even without the details, we trust God and we obediently take steps of faith. Just like in John chapter nine, uh, the first seven verses, I love this. The disciples see this blind man. He was blind from birth and the disciples are like, Jesus, uh, is this man blind because of his parents' sin? Like, is he paying the consequence for his mom and dad and Jesus? He says, no, he kind of says, that's nonsense. That's, that's ridiculous thinking. He says, actually, this man is blind so that God's work might be displayed in him. And I know you know this scene. It's a famous scene where Jesus walks over to the blind man he spits in the dirt and with his saliva, he makes some mud and he rubs it on the blind man's face, right over his eyes. And then Jesus says to the blind man, go, wash in the pool of Salam. And the blind man said, duh, you just put spit in my face, right? No, that's actually, he didn't say that. That's what I would have said. It seems like an obvious thing to do, but notice that Jesus is just giving him some direction. Go and wash without any of the details. The guy doesn't know what washing is going to do other than get his saliva off of him. Actually, what happens is the blind man doesn't say anything at all. He just left. He went to the pool of Salam and he washed and he came back seeing. It's super important to realize that this guy had the faith, he obediently followed what Jesus had called him to do. And if, and if Jesus would have told him all of the details, of course he would have run to the pool, but this was a display of faith. What do we do? We faithfully follow in the direction that Jesus is calling us. So Jesus gives his disciples some direction. Find this large upper room. Uh, and, and then when you get there, make preparations for a celebration. Make, make preparations for this feast that's happening all over Jerusalem. And I'm, I'm sure they didn't realize that while they were preparing that room and preparing that meal, 
that Jesus was actually preparing them. He's not giving them all the details, but he's giving them clear direction. Look at Luke twenty two thirteen. 13. So they went, they were obedient, they were faithful. They found it just as he had told them and they prepared the Passover. They found this upper room. Jesus told them what to do. Things were just as Jesus said and they faithfully followed. They went and they started preparing. We need a place to meet. Go find a place. Go get a place. Go get a room. Go make room. Go get the room ready. The spaces where we come together, they're they're more than just rooms. Jesus is showing us that that places can be very special and, and be places where significant encounters happen. So they made their way to the upper room. I don't know what you're thinking when you think upper room. You, you know, you might be thinking of some ancient version of some upstairs bonus room or, you know, like one of those attics where the pitch of the roof is so weird that you have to walk through it with your neck bent to, to get, you know, but it's not like that at all. Here, here look at, at the outside uh, in Jerusalem as you're walking by, you see uh, this church, St. Mark's Church, but then you also see, you know, this building over here. And this is traditionally the spot where the upper room would have been, but over centuries of battles in Jerusalem in 70 AD, you know, Rome tearing things down and then, uh, you know, being just pummeled several times over the past 2000 years. This is certainly not the same upper room that Jesus and his disciples would have been in, but this is like probably the location and a rebuilt space that emulates what it could have been, what it would have been. Check out the inside of this room. It's very spacious. You can see these two pillars in the center. There's pillars like that lining the walls all around. This is a much more beautiful room and it's a larger room than you would expect. Um, in fact, uh, let, me, let me just kind of uh, show you something. If you're into exploring, we've got some bonus material online. Uh, every one of these messages, Pastor Quentin and I are putting videos from Right Now Media, which you can get a free subscription. If you call Valley Church your home, you just sign up for that. Uh, but we also have bonus material. You get a little QR code in your uh, Spiritual Geographic journal, and it takes you to this page right here. And if you don't have a journal and a QR code, it's valley.church slash spiritual dash geographic and you get the spiritual geographic information and there's always bonus web resources here uh, some videos to watch but click on that 360 it's a little complex so if you don't follow this tutorial you might get lost so click that tutorial screen click that drop down button that appears when the picture appears go all the way to the bottom and then about up 15 spaces this is the last supper room and you can click your mouse and drag and just view the ceiling and the floor. And somebody came in and took some 360 photos of Jerusalem all over the place. They're wonderful. I'd highly encourage you to turn the music off because it gets a little bit, it's a little much, it's a little much, but it's a, it's a great experience to jump out there and check out those 360 photos. You know, it, it was in the upper room. It was right here in this private space, just like this, an intimate setting where Jesus shared his last supper with his disciples. In John 13, it's where in the upper room he demonstrated servant leadership by washing his disciples' feet. It's the same upper room that we see in Acts chapter 2, where the Holy Spirit descended on the early believers, equipping them to spread the gospel far and wide to the edges of the earth. The upper room is, 
is far more than just a geographical location. It's a transformative space where community is strengthened. And uh, it's the, the sacred space where Jesus showcased the depth of his love and his mission. The upper room is where he prepared his disciples for the journey ahead, you know, post his uh, death and resurrection. It's where Jesus launched the church as we know it. It's where the, the power of the Holy Spirit launched the church and lived in people. That's the same upper room. And Jesus asked his disciples to get that room ready. It's a powerful reminder of what we do. When, when we take the time to prepare our spaces, when, when we intentionally set the stage in our lives, we're not just tidying up. We're rolling out the red carpet for something greater. We're opening doors super wide for God's work to unfold in spectacular ways. And I want us to just zoom in on, on one specific scene here in the upper room. John 13, if you have your Bibles, uh, click your way to chapter 13 or flip your Bible all the way open to chapter 13. It's, it's just before the Passover festival. This is the scene that's immediately after Luke 22, where Jesus sends them to prepare the room. And an evening meal, it's already in progress. And this is probably how most of us imagine the Last Supper. Uh, it's a wonderful painting. I don't know if you know this. This painting is in, in real life, if you go visit it, 15 feet tall by 29 feet wide. Uh, we kind of imagine them being at this long dinner table, just all kind of huddled on one side, you know, bickering maybe a little bit, eating, squeezing together. If Jesus were commenting on this photo right now, I think Jesus would say, this is actually an awkward family photo, right? Uh, he's probably saying, you know, my mom was here. She said, let's just get one of the boys. And then all of you on one side of the table. And then, you know, I could see Mary taking some pictures. She's probably like, Judas, no, 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 no. I don't know if you see that, but he spilled the salt. She's like, you know, we don't believe in luck, but that's not a good sign. Peter, put away your knife. Look at this, you know, Peter's got a knife. Like you're scaring Nathaniel, like put it away. You got, you got Thomas over here. What is he doing? He's like, Jesus, what's this on my finger? Jesus is like, I don't know, olive oil? And he's like, I doubt it. Like, I don't know what's happening in this picture. It's a beautiful picture, but, but this isn't how uh, they would have been sitting. They wouldn't have been at formal chairs and at a big dining space like this. They would have actually been reclining at tables. It would have looked more like this. Uh, we call this a triclinium. You know, it's like a U-shape. There's three tables here. This is actually much larger than it would have been in the upper room. This is, uh, I, I think, has place settings for 16, but there would have been, you know, 12 guys around the table. There would have been other disciples in the upper room, some, you know, eating elsewhere, some serving, but uh, it would have been open at one end for food to come in and out and for everybody to be facing each other, to be uh, celebrating with each other, to, to talk. And, uh, you know, it, it was a party. I mean, it wasn't the kind of party where people come and go. It was Passover. It was filled with friends and, and delicious food and the fellowship was off the charts. And the atmosphere would have been one of solemn gratitude with a mix of joyful celebration. And it's at this meal where Jesus says, my time has come. The time for his arrest and his trial, his crucifixion and his death were near. And Jesus knows that Judas is the one who is gonna set things in motion with his betrayal. And actually, I find this fascinating. Jesus just calls it out. He calls it out in front of everybody. In John 13, 21, he says, very truly, I tell you, one of you is gonna betray me. 
how do you imagine the 11 disciples? You got Judas and the other 11. Can you, can you picture all of the disciples just kind of hanging out in this upper room? Like 11 of them are wearing white, white robes and, and, and Judas, his robe is black maybe. Maybe it's leather. Maybe Judas has his collar popped, you know, because he's the villain. He's the one who's just kind of slinking around. And, and, you know, he's not supposed to be eating pork, but he's got some, uh, you know, he's got some bacon in a pouch and he just secretly eats it, right? And he's vaping, right? Yeah, like, I'm just kidding. He's not doing that. He doesn't look like that. He's blending in. He's perfectly blending in. He's probably using essential oils and has a Stanley tumbler. Like he is just like everybody else in the room. He doesn't stand out. So when Jesus says this, everybody's confused. They don't know what he's talking. They're like, that guy, we knew it. It's not like that at all. Jesus says this, actually Judas, he panics and he leaves quickly and nobody else seems to understand. They just wonder, is he talking about me? Is it, is it about me, Jesus? You know, what are you talking about? And in verse 19, don't miss this. Jesus says, I'm telling you these things that somebody's gonna betray me. Judas just left. And I'm telling you all of these things before they happen so that when they happen, you will believe who I am. Jesus is not giving all the details, but he is leaving clues and he's giving everybody direction. After Judas leaves, Jesus says this in John 13, 33, children, I am with you a little while longer. More direction, but not the details everybody wants. He says, you're gonna look for me and just as I told the Jews, so now I tell you where I am going, you cannot come, you can't come. Not enough details, Jesus. You're just gonna give us some direction so that when we see it happen, we know that you're the real deal. We already believe you're the real deal, tell us. Jesus, he's setting the stage for something that's gonna change the world forever. He's talking in this moment about the cross and about his resurrection and about making a way for us to be with God forever. And it's, you know, in this passage, a not yet moment. The disciples can't follow now, but they eventually will. They will later. And then Peter does what Peter does. Peter tries to squeeze some of the details out of Jesus. Look at this, John 13, 36 through 38. Lord, Simon Peter said to him, where are you going? Jesus answered, where I'm going, you can't follow me now, but you will follow me later. Lord, Peter's like, Lord, come on. Why can't, you, why can't I follow you now? I'm, I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus replied, will you? Those two words would have broke me. I just said I will. And Jesus says, will you? Will you lay down your life for me? Because truly I tell you, a rooster will not crow until you've denied me three times. You know, there's a lot of similarities between Judas and Peter. At times, both of these men were incredibly ambitious. Uh, both of these men uh, were walking closely with Jesus. And then, you know, other moments they were weak and they just fell away and did their own thing. Both of these guys got to do incredible things in the name of Jesus. He gave his disciples the power and authority to preach the gospel, to cast out demons and to heal people. Like they got to experience that in a first person kind of way. Both of these men, they were both sinners in desperate need of a savior. 
And when you follow their ministry together, you see that Jesus constantly was giving them direction, but not all the details, but direction and encouragement. And he doesn't confront them with demands. He, he's really, when, when Jesus says what he says to Judas and when he says what he says to Peter, he's offering them an opportunity to choose a different direction. Hey, I know what you're gonna do. You know there's something else you could do. That's one of the crazy things about Jesus is he doesn't, he doesn't force us to choose his direction. He doesn't want us to make bad decisions, but he lets us because we are not controlled beings. Jesus showed both men grace. He showed them grace throughout their ministry and he showed both of these men grace in that room. And we're gonna come back to these two men and the decisions that they made in a couple of weeks. But in the end, what we all know, if you've read to the end of the Gospels, Judas, he chose his own direction. Judas embraced his greed. And, and when he realized he was wrong, Judas tried to fix everything himself. He took those silver coins and he threw them back at the chief priest. He tried to undo it in his own power and in his own way. And it didn't work for him. But Jesus offered Peter grace and Peter embraced that grace. Peter accepted it. You know, a few weeks ago, I was invited to share the gospel with a group of teenagers. It's such a great joy to share the gospel. Uh, and it is a gift to share the gospel with young people and, and then to get to see their response. And, and my goal every time I share the gospel, whether it's here or in front of a small group or in front of a large crowd, my goal is to be as clear as possible. And then if people make a decision, a lot of times I'll, I'll say something like this. You can mark the moment. And I'll look at my watch and I'll say, today at January 13, 9.03 p.m., you can remember that you gave your life to Jesus. And then I walk them through a prayer. Admit you're a sinner, believe in the resurrection, commit your life to Christ. That's not an easy road. It's not a promise of an easy life, but it is the promise of an eternal life with God. And to just look out and see a sea of teenagers. And when you ask people, if you gave your life to Jesus, would you just stand? Because we want your leaders to see because they're invested in you. We want somebody to know so they can walk with you. And amongst the sea of people, you get to see just ripples of life change. I just love it. I love it. After the session, uh, I went out and stood in the hallway. I love standing in the hallway, greeting students, meeting students. They want to talk to the speaker. They want to uh, handshake. They want a high five. They want photo, whatever. I'm not famous. And if I can give that away in a way that makes somebody else feel incredibly special, I want to do that. Just give it away. So I'm hanging out in the hallway. And, and this one girl comes up to me and uh, she has like five of her friends and uh, she just approaches me real sheepishly, you know, and she's got her five friends behind her. There's a wall of friends around her and she just comes up to me. She goes, uh, today's my birthday. <laughs> and I was like, hey, happy birthday, you know, and then I asked her, did, did you get any cool presents? And, and she looked at me and she said, Brandon, it's, it's really not that kind of a birthday. And I was like, what? And she said, it's a, it's a January 13 at 9.03 p.m. birthday. I just melted. God still uses people 
to prepare spaces and places. And God still meets with people in those spaces and places. In the upper room, it may have been an ordinary room in Jerusalem, but the events that took place in that room changed the world forever. And right now, that conference hall in Wisconsin, like it's just an empty box. It is a big box, but it is just an empty box. But the week leading up to that and the weekend that all of that ministry happened, men and women were pouring over that room and preparing that room and preparing and encouraging people. They were making space. They were making room for kids to come and hear about Jesus. By the way, that's what we do here. (laughs) You know, you don't have to go to a conference to learn about Jesus. We see people entering into a personal relationship with Jesus all the time here at Valley Church. This week, I heard about somebody who accepted Christ in a small group and another person who accepted Christ in a counseling session. We've got people coming to Christ in children's ministry, junior high ministry, high school, senior high students, like all over the place. I mean, it's so encouraging to be a part of a place that's preparing space for people to meet with Jesus. I love it. The people of Valley Church have been very intentional with the places and spaces that that we've prepared. And and God continues to stretch us and and he's pulling us and he's pointing us in the direction of reaching more people with the good news of Jesus Christ. Maybe you're one of those people. Uh, you are certainly one of those people who has the privilege of preparing space for other people. Let's pray. Lord, thanks for today. Thanks for your love. Thanks for your ministry in our lives. God, continue to grow us, sharpen us, stretch us, point us in directions. And with the way that we think, or maybe I should say the way, God, we, we as humans don't think, could you just make your direction obvious? And I pray for every man, woman, child listening, if their ears are on this, I pray that you would give them a clear sense of your direction, that you would uh, enlighten them, that you would uh, confirm that through prayer, that they would see the affirmation in your word and they would get uh, confirmation uh, to do or not do from any of those areas, including wise counsel, all for your glory, Lord. We love you. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Hey guys, have a great week.